Welcome to At Home with Danae and Marisa, Uncorking Seattle Area Real Estate. We'll uncork the tips and tricks behind the bustling real estate scene in the greater Seattle area. I'm Danae, your mortgage lender. And I'm Marisa, your real estate broker. And together, we're your go-to guides for navigating the ever-changing landscape of buying and selling homes. Join us as we pour insight, share tips, and raise a glass to the exciting journey of buying and selling in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Hi, Danae. Hi. How's it going? Doing okay. Hanging in there. Been super sick. Um, so otherwise, we would be cranking out a podcast every week. Yeah. But- yeah, and no wine review. We're doing this virtual virtual this time. Um, mm-hmm. Got to reduce the inflammation in my body. So you know, that's <laughs> all of that good stuff. So between doing virtual and not being able to share the bottle together and yeah. um, you trying to recover from a, you know, a, a heck of a year with so far with sickness, um, we'll just kind of go over the real estate stuff. Yeah, let's do it. So last week we talked about step three of the four-step buyer process, which was basically getting into contract on a home. Um, And I kind of talked about like contingencies and negotiations and all of that. And so now we're focusing on step four, which is basically getting to closing. And a big piece of that is Danae getting you finally, or finally, final approval. so that your loan closes out, they can exchange funds at closing, and yay, I get to give you the key to your house. So, um, Danae, take it away as far as how how this process goes to get final approval. Yeah, so once once you have a fully signed around contract to get that all signed by the buyers and the seller, um, typically you would send that over to me or whoever the agent is would send it over to, to the lender. And that's kind of like my, that's my go time. Um, I would complete the application and really that is just inputting the, the address to select, to hit the five, we call it five aliens, um, which is the, uh, um, putting me on, I put myself on the spot on this. Um, it's like it's name, it's credit score, um, social security, all a bunch of stuff that we already have in there, loan amount. Um, and then it's a property address. So okay. that property address is the last thing to actually say you've completed your application. Um, oh, okay. got it. So when when your guys is the contingency that is get application within three days, um, yep. that's typically done day one because mm-hmm. I put in that address and and that contingency is cleared. Makes sense. So like just one quick note on the finance contingency, kind of like on my side. So for buyers, really important to know that there's three ways the finance contingency protects you and think of like contingency as protecting your earnest money. Um, If you don't have a contingency, that's a breach of contract if you want to walk away. So we operate within these contingencies and the finance contingency, there's three way it protects you. One, if you like lost your job before closing, um, Obviously, lender can't qualify you if you don't have income that's going to be coming in. Um, Two would be um, if for whatever reason they're going through underwriting, let's say like with rates kind of being a little turbulent, like what if rates jumped up half a point and then all of a sudden you don't qualify for the purchase price? Like it would protect you if that were to happen. Yeah. Then third piece would be the appraisal. And we'll talk in episode six in more length on appraisal, but basically there's a contingency within the contingency 
that um, protects the buyer and is able to give them negotiation power if the appraisal came back low. So um, we love a good finance contingency as much as I can. I want that in your contract. And I know you do too, Danae. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, you know, I have people, agents call me, especially in the heydays of like 2020, 2021, all of that type of stuff. And be like, can I wait financing? And I would always hesitate, not because like I didn't have confidence in my pre-approval and the buyer. I just, there is right. so many things that could happen. So yeah. um, there is definitely situations that it could make sense to, but it's mm -hmm. definitely one that. You need to weigh your pros and cons and a good lender and a good agent are going to walk you through the kind of risks of that. Um, scenario. I mean, obviously in a competitive environment, it definitely is going to make your offer stand out to have um, no finance contingency. You, you just need to be okay with the potential of losing your earnest money. Exactly. So that's, that's the biggest piece to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Yeah. So um, the application contingency or of that finance, finance contingency is a big one. Um, right. You know, usually nothing comes back from it, but if for whatever reason, the lender or the client doesn't decide to move forward right away. Um, mm -hmm. Getting that address in is a big piece of making sure we stay within that, that typically three day, three day time period. Yeah. Um, from there, we, we reach out to all the various third parties, the title and the escrow team to get their side of docs, get things, um, connected between the two of us so they know the exact setup. Um, we collect updated documents from the borrower, um, whether, you know, a lot of the times they've been out shopping for at least 30 days. So we just get an updated pay stub, maybe an updated bank statement, just various updated documents to get ready to, to send to underwriting. Um, right. At the same time, we prep the initial disclosures. So that will be majority of them are just like the legal jargon of we don't discriminate. We don't, um, here's this act and that and Dodd-Frank and all these different like things. Truth in lending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all these various acts and reforms and laws that are put into place to protect mm -hmm. the borrower. Right. Um, the other portion of that is them actually signing the application. So it's signing the, um, making sure that everything's correct um, it's signing the initial loan estimate and a handful of other various loan specific documents. Sure. Um, I always tell people though, that like, these are, these are the initial ones. Um, the, when the loan estimate is set out, that is what there's certain fees that we're restricted and can't adjust. So we, we as a lender have to make sure that it's pretty dang accurate. Um, there's two different categories. There's one that can fully adjust. That would be, um, your insurance, your property taxes. Like if for whatever reason, those are off or your insurance policy comes in different, those can be adjusted to, there's no, there's no, um, there's no limit on those adjustments. Gotcha. Um, there are certain other fees that can be adjusted by 10%. So if something is slightly higher, um, then, then it, as long as it's 10% or less higher than what's on that initial LE, it can be adjusted and the borrower can be charged for it. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I'm like having flashbacks right now because I was a mortgage funder like 12 yeah. years ago. And part of my checklist before I could fund a loan was double checking that those fees didn't go more than 10%. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And there's others that have a zero tolerance. So can't, can't adjust by a penny. Um, if they do, the lender has to cover those. And gotcha. it's, it's called the cost to cure. It's just a a cost. Um, yep, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming back. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that's that's really the benefit. That's really like the not not the purpose, but like that's a big part of the loan estimate is kind of giving a very detailed estimate. Um, for me, those should be unless something completely changed on the property type or whatnot that um, we have we as in me and the lender or me and the client have been talking about. Um, those should be pretty accurate to, to what I have been quoting previously. Um, the, the application would be similar. You know, they just go through and review if something is slightly off, they just need to let us know and then we'll make the adjustment and they'll get, they'll sign another one. These are all just initial documents Hmm. that will slowly get fine-tuned and everything. So by the time you go to the final signing table, they're hundred percent accurate. Um, gotcha. you know, there's been times that the, the client, um, puts in the wrong birth year by accident. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what their birthday is. Um, sure. so they are like, Oh, that's wrong. I'm like, okay, well let's fix it. And then you'll sign it again. So it's just stuff like that. So it sounds like, uh, kind of refilling out your application disclosures and now it's like processing? Yes. So once those are all signed, once those initial disclosures are all signed, once you get updated documents, we get documents from Cal and escrow, we'll submit it to underwriting. Um, and they'll do they'll do their full review. Got Sometimes it. we do that at, even ahead of time to do a TBD approval. But if we didn't do that, um, you know. That's like a pre-underwritten approval. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I do that. I do a TBD approval if someone has a very complicated income calculation that I'm like, mm, they're, they're going to have questions on this. So let's sure. get ahead of it now. Um, or sometimes I, I can do it to make, make offers more competitive and give, it gives the agents kind of, I would say kind of the warm and fuzzy yeah. feeling that. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely like, so last night, one of my listings um, went pending, got three offers and um, the finance piece, I was like very shocked. Everyone had a fantastic lender that they submitted a pre-approval with, but our winning offer, they were pre-underwritten, um, which just gave my client, I mean, obviously it gives me good confidence as an agent, but my clients were like, I really like that they've already been through underwriting. And all they need is a clean appraisal and a clean title. So it does, it does help for yeah. sure. Because you don't, you know, like I, when I look at my stuff, I, I know what I'm doing and right. I know, I know I'm confident, but yeah. the, the receiving agent may not know me. They may nope. not know, you know, my quality of work and all that type of stuff. So um, it's, it's for sure a valid, warm and fuzzy feed. But yeah, definitely. if you're, you know, if you're a straightforward W2 borrower, that's yeah. what it, that's what it's for. Makes sense. Um, so we'll get it submitted to underwriting. And mm -hmm. during that time, I typically wait until the inspection contingency is cleared. If that's mm -hmm. on there to order the appraisal, but that's when we'll order the appraisal and, um, 
kind of, we do that to save you money. We don't want to order your appraisal. It's a, you know, God knows how much money, thousand bucks. They all vary. I don't want you paying for something if the house is not coming together, if the negotiations are not coming together during that inspection. So that's why. And I've also had some agents um, want to make sure it's waited to be ordered until after for negotiating power to mm-hmm. essentially, because if, if you, if you order the appraisal and you move forward with that, it's typically a clear sign that you're moving forward with it or yeah. it can be. Um, so I've I mean, had, I think to me, I'm like, it's a different contingency. I don't yeah. think it like matters, but I've I mean, had some agency, you know, like different agents, different yeah, ideas, exactly different, different <laughs> styles and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I've had some people like some agents, like keeping that mm-hmm. and keeping the appraisal, not being ordered as another form of like negotiating power. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so kind of, kind of a combination of the two, one potential negotiating power and two, if for whatever reason you don't move forward, I don't want you stuck with, with that fee, right. um, but we'll go into the full ins and outs of um, the appraisals and everything when next episode. Um, So once the appraisal comes in, assuming it comes in at value, we'll just assume that for this one. Um, In that time period as well, we would get conditional approval. Most of the time, those conditional approvals are just crossing the T's, dotting the I's sort of conditions. Um, It's asking for an appraisal, um, maybe a transaction history showing the withdrawn of the earnest money, all these things that are kind of happening throughout the process. So we'd collect all of those. We'd make sure the insurance policy is all set up, which the client would um, shop for themselves with their trusted trusted insurance agent. And then we'd package it all one more time to get submitted for final approval. Right. Um, after the appraisal comes in, we can get your closing disclosure sent out. Um, so anytime between appraisal coming in and resubmitting for final approval, your closing disclosure would would go out. Um, I guess I'll rewind a second too about rate lock. Um, Oh yeah, that's a big one. Yep. Um, Typically that, typically I lock in within a day or two after receiving the contract, Um, especially in this volatile market. Um, I don't, I don't want the risk and the responsibility of locking in and rates going up. there's times though that if I have a very savvy borrower that is very in tune to the market, I'll have a discussion with them and say, okay, what do you, what do you want to do? Um, do you want, there's an inflation report. There's some report coming out that we kind of think that will improve. Um, do, what do you want to do? And I've had some say, yeah, let's, let's still lock in. Um, so question on locking rate, you cannot lock your rate until after an accepted contract. Correct. Right. Generally speaking, yes, we need an address in order to lock it. We do have programs that have extended locks um, okay. that you can do without it, but I really don't recommend it um, hmm. because there's it's so much cost up front. Oh, yes. There's okay. a lot of times you have to actually, mo- most of the time, if you're within 90 days of closing, you just lock in the rate. If you walk away, there's no cost or anything like that. Gotcha. For okay. the extended locks, there's a few different structures to them, but the majority of time you have to send in a check to actually lock in. And it's just because it's a risk for the bank. Um, And so they, you know, they're, they're mitigating a risk by allowing you to lock in without a contract. Interesting. So 
majority of the time, I don't recommend that at all. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and, you know, similar to do with a new construction, if the new construction six months out, um, you know, I'd say, hey, let's let's just monitor rates. Sure. Um, being in the market we are right now, I would for sure say let's float because we're going to kind of see this up up and down. But I think our trend Talk about float. What does that mean? Floating your rate. So you're 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 floating to see what happens with it <laughs> um, versus locking. Okay. Um, so you can do that. What float your float? float? Yeah. Yep. You don't, you can, you can wait to lock in until, until you resubmit final approval. That seems really risky to me. And it, it all depends. I mean, in December, <laughs> I had one of the really savvy borrowers okay. that said, you know, there's these, there's these big time reports coming out and they, they should all um, point towards improvement. And it did. And it paid off big time, paid off. Nice. Time. So, you know, I, I, it's such a hard thing. You know, yeah. it, it's, there's times that it'll pay off and there's times that it won't pay off and it'll do the complete opposite. Um, gotcha. If you did that on the last, last re inflation report that was earlier this month, you would have seen a, a huge swing on the upwards. Um, yeah. You know, and we almost saw that overnight. So it's, it's definitely a hard thing. And that's why I typically recommend just securing it. So what happens if you lock in a rate and then rates like go down? Can you unlock and relock? Yeah. So you can't unlock and relock. Okay. Okay. But my bank does allow you to, we call it renegotiate the lock. Oh, okay. So, um, Essentially what that is, if, so there is your interest rate and then you have your discount points. Okay. And the, the interest rate, I'm trying to figure out how to condense the, I think we'll do a whole, whole episode on like rates and how they're sure. all that type of stuff. But so I'm going to try and condense it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you have your rates and your discount points. The discount okay. point is the cost of the rate. Got it. And a lot of the times when we say, oh, rates get got worse. Let's say today, you know, uh, I quoted someone earlier today, seven and a half percent had a one point cost. Okay. So if I say, oh, rates got worse, rates got a little bit worse today. Mm -hmm. That could mean that that seven and a half percent had a seven or a 1.25% cost instead of the one. 1.25 of the loan of the amount. amount. Yeah. Right? All of my stuff is based off of the loan amount. Loan amount. Got it. Um, and then, you know, I could say, oh, they got a little bit better. So maybe that seven and a half percent had a 0.75 cost to it. Gotcha. So the discount point is really what moves. And that's where you would say, like, if we say, oh my gosh, rates got way worse. Maybe that seven and a half percent now has a two point cost. Like you could still get that seven and a half percent, but that's not what I would quote. Um, sure. You know, that may mean we're at eight percent with a one point cost or something like that. Got it. So it's that that's really how they fluctuate. Gotcha. And, then, uh, and now I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> we were talking, we kind of backtracked on rates and then we we're talking about um, the closing disclosure. Yeah. Um, that piece before I think final approval is okay. submitted. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, uh, I have a different point, but I, totally <laughs> forgot. I was trying to condense. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we would, oh, renegotiation. That's where we were. Uh, yes. yeah. So the discount point 
So say we we locked in at seven and a half percent at one point cost. Mm -hmm. If that seven and a half, if a week goes by, rates improve. And that seven percent now was no cost. Mm -hmm. So it improved by one discount point. Mm -hmm. I can request a renegotiation. Oh, okay. And it's not, it's not, and it's a renegotiation because it's not just as simple as, hey, we get a we get a switch to this the seven and a half percent at no cost. Mm -hmm. um, there's a slight fee to it. You're on today's pricing. So there's, you really have to look at it, each individual one and make sure it makes sense, but there's the potential to take advantage of it. Okay. Now that's not the case across the board for lenders. That's something my bank does, American Pacific Mortgage. That's what they do. That's their policy. Um, I do also have the ability to broker. So I do have the ability to go to different lenders. Um, I don't do that all that much just because I really feel like my bank is mm -hmm. the best spot to go. That's why that's why I'm with them. Yeah. Um, but I know at least one of the lenders that we work with on the broker side doesn't allow for that. So it's it. very, you know, bank specific. Got it. Makes sense. Um, so that was a renegotiation. We lock in your rate. Um, you'll if it, if it's not locked in by the time the initial disclosures go out. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Um, you would get an, an updated loan estimate that shows the locked rate. And Got it. That. And then um, you'd get your closing disclosure set. Mm -hmm. That closing disclosure one is one more refined fee breakdown. Got it. And then that also sets your first available sign, signing date with escrow. Mm. So if you were to sign, let's say your disclosure disclosure went out today, it's Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday. Yes. It's Tuesday <laughs> 27. So there is a three-day wait period and you can sign on the third day. So Friday. You can sign on the fourth day. So you it would be <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you could sign Friday. After your after you receive or you re, we resubmit for final approval, um, we can your closing disclosure will go up. Mm -hmm. And that one will have a refined numbers of, you know, one more refined numbers to your down to the penny um total cash needed at closing. And it also sets your first sign date. Gotcha. So after, after you sign that, you can sign with escrow three days later. Got it. Um, and sometimes docs will be out and everything by then. Sometimes, you know, that's. You just got to wait though till that three exactly, days. Go, exactly. Goes so um, once we've received final approval, you will, um, we'll work on getting the doc sent to escrow mm -hmm. and escrow will kind of do the, their thing to, to get everything ready and prepped and they'll balance balance. Exactly. So yep. that's, that's when the real final number down to the penny, um, is, is right. going to be sent. Um, you know, there's some people are like, well, why don't you know that? But there's things that escrow are getting, um, like I just Utilities, had insurance, taxes, all of yeah. I just had, I just had one, a settlement statement balance today and mm -hmm. there was a HOA, mm -hmm. um, right. so, you know, it's just little things like that, that I may not have visibility on or, um, 
you know, they need, I can estimate it, but I don't know down to the penny because they're waiting for a, a payoff demand. Right. Um, so they'll do that. They'll go back and forth with my funding team. And mm -hmm. then we'll say, yep, that's good to go. They will schedule the signing with, right. um, with the sellers and the buyers. And mm -hmm. then um, typically we fund the next day or whatever the close date is. Um, right. If they sign, we we definitely have time that it is down to the crunch time for various reasons. And we can have people sign in the morning and fund that same day. Um, so, and then at that point, we we get the documents or my funding team, I should say, get the documents. They do their thing. They make sure everything's there. They send the wire to escrow. At the same time, the buyer will send their final cash to close number to escrow. Escrow is the middleman that then disperse the money to the needed parties. And they also record to the county. And then that's when you come back in and you can get yeah. the keys. Yeah. So um, kind of backing up, like one final piece, like on my end before like recording and closing is we always do a final walkthrough within five days prior to closing. We want to make sure that the house is in the same condition as when you initially viewed it. Make sure the dishwasher is working, like make sure there's no like holes in the drywall. Um, and if there are, like we definitely need to go back to the selling side and just say, hey, like you need to replace this or fix this with like or better quality. Um, so that's like your one last chance to make sure the house is in good condition. Um, so definitely always do a final walkthrough. Um, and, Have you ever oh, yeah. had any nightmare? Have you ever had any nightmare uh, final walkers? Not yet, but man, there's there's a gal I follow on social media. Shout out to Heather Maddox with Windermere, and her buyer walked into like a hoarder situation a couple of weeks ago, and like thankfully they were able to get the listing side to like pay for junk removal. Like she showed pictures on social media, and it was like appalling. So, so the house was fine. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't really know like the whole context of it, but like it was a battle to get someone to take care of taking out trash from the property. So yeah, mama oh, bear would be oh. all over that if that happened to my buyer. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, so yeah, always do final walkthrough. And then on the day of closing, um, Day of closing. So obviously you, the documents get sent to the county to record. Um, that I I couldn't tell you when that's gonna happen. It's anywhere from like early morning to like five, sometimes six, sometimes seven o'clock at night that they'll get the recording numbers back. The recording number is basically like think of it as a receipt that the change of ownership has been recorded and it's official with the county. So that is when I can give you keys. Um, so typically, recording numbers. say that again, when you get the recording numbers, yep. When you get the recording numbers, I, that's when I can give keys. Yep. So whether you get it at 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, you can give yep. it at any time. Yes. As long as those recording numbers are in, um, now the seller does contractually have until 9 PM to vacate. Um, Often they are out before then, but there have definitely been instances where a seller just needed a little bit of extra time. Maybe that was owner occupied. Um, so that's, that can be normal. So I just kind of preface buyers with that. Um, you know, and then other thing for you to kind of take care of is set up your utilities. So set up your water, sewer, garbage, electric, gas, all of that to start the next day. 
Um, should be a pretty easy process. My transaction concierge, Trish, she's awesome. And she'll give you like a breakdown of like, Hey, here's who to contact. Um, and then, yeah, I'll typically either meet you, um, at the property, give you the keys or, um, we'll hide them just depending on your work schedule. Well, I'll, I'll kind of go up like your, your pace, um, and then get you the keys and you can move in. So that's the super exciting part. Um, I also get like really sad because, I'm like, oh, I don't get to talk to my people as often. You, you spend so much time with them. and, and then Oh my gosh, you spend so much time together. And then like all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like, I feel like when I first started, I did a lot more either. I did a lot of in-person um, or virtual meet. I mean, let's, nine years ago, I wasn't doing, no one was really doing yeah. <laughs> No one was doing it four years ago. Like, let's yeah, just exactly. COVID and then you know, COVID happened, and one we were yeah. we we're doing so many refinances, right? And just like pumping them out, and didn't really have any time. And I really like this last like year or so. I'd be like, no, take a step back, get to get to know them even more. Because I, you know, I have a conversation, I have multiple phone conversations with you with them, but sitting even face to face virtually has oh, been yeah. such a joy. Um, I had a meeting last night, and I was just like this is why you, this is why we do it because we get to like help these people and get them to understand it and all that. Yeah. No, like it brings you back to like the joy of like why we do this and it's to help people. Like it is not just to sell a house. It's not just to get a commission. It's not like that. Like you, what's that phrase? Like, uh, do something that you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Like this, we love what we do. Um, I just, I love the people that I get to work with and I want to work with more incredible people like that. So exactly, yeah. And I think for me, it's like the, the mortgage loan side of it is so complicated and there's so many nuances. And a lot of times people don't, they don't get explained to, they'll just be like, here's the numbers. And then they'll get a different set of numbers that are completely different because one of 500 things changed and they don't know why. And they don't, they don't know why ahead of time. Um, so I really like taking the time to like, okay, I was on the phone with these people for, or by on zoom for an hour and a half last night. Yeah. Um, and cause they had questions and I was like, keep them coming, keep them coming. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really important to have an advocate. Like this is the biggest purchase you'll make in your life. Probably. Um, I saw a quote on Instagram this week or last week that said your, it's called your real estate team should have the tendency of a teacher not of a salesperson. Dave Ramsey. Was that Dave Ramsey? Dave, Dave Ramsey. Oh, yeah. Part okay. of a teacher. Yeah. Part of a teacher, not of a salesperson, something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 It's okay. true. Well, next episode, we'll go through detailed appraisal because there's a lot of nuances to that one. So we'll kind of d- take a whole, whole time frame to dive into that one. And um, we'll see you on the other side. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of At Home with Danae and Marisa Uncorking Seattle Area Real Estate. If you enjoyed our Uncorked Insights and want to stay connected, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next time, here's to finding your dream home and making every space truly your own. Cheers. Cheers.